are our help, you are our helper. The truth is that uh, many within our congregation and connected to us are going through difficult times right now and are in the midst of storms. And uh, Pastor Steve, thank you so much for being sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit in planning this important journey that you take us on each Sunday morning into the very heart of God. Appreciate it very much. And maybe uh, you're in the midst of something right now that's, uh, that's really big and um, is really weighing you down, or your heart is grieved, or you're somehow perplexed under some sort of strain. Why don't you just slip up your hand? I want to, as I begin to pray this morning, just pray for you, wherever you are in the congregation this morning. You're into it. Okay, Father, um, you are our help. Not only that, you are our helper. You go with us. Father, we just need you so much. We rely on you completely because, Father, we are but dust and you are the great God of the universe. And, and Lord, I just pray now as we have been privileged to be invited into your presence and as we've praised you and as you've drawn near to us because we know, Lord, that you, you love to center yourself in the praise of your people. And so, our Father, it has been a a rich privilege and honor for us to proclaim to you the the only living and true God, uh, a reflection of our hearts in praise, for you to be audience of the expression of our love for you. And Lord, now I pray as we encounter your word uh, that you would speak boldly into our lives. And Lord, please encourage our hearts. Please strengthen us. Father, um, for the variety of challenges that are represented in this room right now this morning, uh, you are more than equal for each one. And I pray, Father, that you would therefore uh, grant us an awareness of your presence. Would you be powerful among us, Lord? And I pray, Father, that not only would you uh, create an awareness of your presence, but a longing in our hearts to rely on you, to be dependent on you, to, to fall at your feet, to respond to you, Lord, and allow you to, to work in our lives in a powerful way in the midst of trouble. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in my high school, being a Christian was cool for one year. The year was 1971, Guelph Collegiate Vocational Institute, grade 11. For whatever reason, and I don't know whether it spread out into other places, I don't know whether it happened in your situation, but 1971, it was cool, and and, and all the cool people, you you know, the people in the sororities and the fraternity clubs and that, like I wasn't cool, I wasn't in any of those, but but the cool people were walking around saying one way, you know, Jesus Jesus is the way and all that, and and, and it was just like an an amazing outbreak of of the work of God, or what looked like the work of God in, in our high school in those years. In that year, uh, by the next year, it had all fizzled out. And then we went back to being a few geeks, Christian geeks in high school, just trying to stay out of persecution. You, know, you remember all that? You, maybe some of you are still there, just trying to avoid ridicule. And, and when friends and popularity mean everything, as they do in the uh, years of our high school time in particular, uh, it seems like Christianity is a big risk, and it's, and it's tough. But in comparison to the many people around the world who are uh, going through such so great, great a, a difficulty and great persecution and all of that, what we went through was, was virtually 
nothing. In fact, the writer of Hebrews articulates for us kind of a representation of, of, of the persecution that's been laid upon people over the centuries of time. In Hebrews chapter 11, there's just a little description there of, uh, from verse 35 on. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. Significant cost to following the Lord Jesus Christ. I would submit to you as our society, as the, the Christian society, morally implodes, the search for scapegoats will dramatically increase. I think all of us should be preparing ourselves for what it means to take the unpopular stand of, of being a, an outspoken follower of Jesus Christ and what that might look like in the coming days. We'll, re, we'll risk, if not already, our social standing. We'll risk economic punishment. We'll risk career censor, and probably we will risk death. The question that I want to put before you this morning that I believe God's text is going to answer is, are are you going to be controlled by the crowd or are you prepared to swim against the stream? I, I want to put out for you this morning the question that how far are you willing to take your loyalty to Christ? Will you take it to the death? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to face the fire or... Or are you hoping that following Christ can be Christianity light? Will you gladly give over your wishes to God's will? Would you turn with me to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. As we continue our, uh, our series in Daniel. And, and this morning when being different and, and in particular when being a follower of God means serious risk. What to do. Now, now for those of you who um, have been following along in the series, you'll recall that, that a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Daniel chapter 2, um, Daniel uh, was given the, 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 uh, the ability and power of God to not only tell the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon at the time, tell him the dream he dreamed, but to interpret the dream for him. And if you remember the the dream interpretation, Daniel talked about the kingdoms of the world that God had given him this picture of. And and what King Nebuchadnezzar particularly was interested in listening to was that first kingdom, that kingdom that Daniel says was the kingdom of gold. And and I'm not sure that Nebuchadnezzar could get past that particular image of of the kingdom of gold and he, the kingdom, the the king, the great leader over that kingdom of gold. And in hearing that, of course, he, he pays lip service to some sort of accolades to the God of heaven by saying to Daniel, surely your God is the, the God of gods. And, and I'm really, it's really cool what he's able to do. And, but oh, by the way, Daniel, wow, your God is amazing, but can we talk about that golden kingdom just a little bit more? Because I'm really excited about that. In Daniel chapter 3 Verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar took 
the word of God to him and twisted it. Watch. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial magistrates or officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Wow, Daniel, your God is amazing. Tells me of my golden kingdom. And so he goes, sets about to set up an idol, an image. An image that would represent the the power and glory and splendor of Babylon. In some distorted way, Nebuchadnezzar got it in his mind that the the best way to govern the world at that time was to draw everybody into one religion who in fact would all serve an all-knowing, answer-filled leader. It was at that moment that Satan did a dry run of what is yet to come as well. Anybody who's familiar with the scriptures knows. And because Satan is not all that... um, Creative. We all know that someday, some all-knowing answer leader will rise up and will come to the conclusion that the best way to unite the world is to unite them around one religion. But it won't be the religion of the living God. And so we're left as God's people to, to ask the question, in light of the pressure that's now been put upon this particular society, this particular culture, what in the world are God's people going to do? If you remember, back in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego had all been promoted. They'd been promoted to within the group that was invited to this great ceremony. In fact, this was basically like the, uh, the beginning of the Olympic ceremony, you know? Have you ever watched those things? I mean, those things, the extravaganza for the world to watch. Look how great we are. Look how great mankind is. Look at our accomplishments. And they contract some great musicians to put together some great anthem and theme that the world can rally around and be all excited about. That's precisely what Nebuchadnezzar did. He got all of his musicians to write this Olympic theme song about how great Babylon was and how great Nebuchadnezzar was. And and the who's who, the who's of who's who was there. 
Everybody who was anybody was invited to this ceremony. And the drama of the text continues to name who was there, who was there, what they were expected to do. The pressure is mounting. What will God's people do? It would seem that they were required to bow down to the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up as job security. They'd just been promoted. But it went beyond that. It wasn't only job security. It was life security. Anyone who doesn't bow down to the image will die in a blazing furnace. A fiery, blazing furnace. Being demoted at the workplace is one thing. Being threatened with your life takes the question of loyalty toward Christ to a whole other level, don't you think? You know, um, the folly of human pride and tactical power plays always puts people of faith at risk. The idea was conformity through fear, but it was an impossible agenda. What in the world would God's people do? The human mind, says John Calvin, is a factory of idols. There's no end to what human pride will do. I don't know if you noticed, but as you read through the text, you're going to find out that the word, the phrase set up, appears multiple times. In fact, seven times. You know that uh, whenever you're studying God's word, God is trying to get a message across. He regularly repeats things. When he does that, you ought to take notice. Pay attention. I always go searching for those kinds of things when I'm reading a text of God's word. Are there any things repeated here? And I always circle them, you know. There's seven times you'll find it. Seven times you'll find set up. Nebuchadnezzar set it up. It was all about him and about his pride and about his strength and about his tactical human power. The agenda is always the same. Independence from God by diluting the worship of God and elevating of the self as the object of our worship, the statue we see in the mirror. Our addictions determine our affections, our desires, and our drives, whether it's drugs or sex or pre- uh, pleasure or relationships, self-attention. And make no mistake about it, our pride makes a golden idol of ourselves. It's a tragic story because Nebuchadnezzar had come so close to brushing up against the infinite with this encounter with Daniel in the chapter before, and he'd come to the place where he'd said, yes, God, your God is the God of gods. He twists it and turns it 
and, and uses this, this amazing insight from God to, to build himself up. Pride leads to all kinds of damaging relationship behavior. The person filled with pride is always a person who's very insecure. It was his insecurity that caused him to do this. I need to find a way to to cause group worship of the system. But you know, there's more evidences of pride in our lives. And pride is a horrible thing that grips us and and, and causes aberrant behavior to take place. We're unforgiving people when we're proud. We're, We're arrogant when we're proud. We're bitter when we're proud. We're unwilling to submit or stingy. Perhaps we're overly ambitious or overly competitive or, or overly driven toward knowledge or, or awards or degrees. All these are ultrasounds in our heart that tell us something's not right. And the fight against idolatry, against the idolatry of self, is selflessness and submission. There is no other way. Submission totally to the will and the ways of God. Usually at personal sacrifice. Do I save myself or serve God? That's the question that was put before these guys. I don't want to spend any more time describing Nebuchadnezzar, really, or describing pride that drove him to this. It's uh, only an introduction to try and help you to understand that we're not so far removed from this. This is not the story of a, of a king thousands of years ago who, who has no likeness to anything that we, in, in any way, the, the landscape of, of, the, of the land we live in. This is our story. This is increasingly our story. The pressure that's being placed upon us by a culture that's increasingly distancing itself from the living God. And what are God's people going to do? Are we going to take a stand? And what will be the cost? And are we prepared for the cost? Keep reading, verse 7. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. Wait a second. Astrologers denounced the Jews. Didn't we learn uh, uh, about the the astrologers and the the, uh, diviners and and all of those who who in fact um, were, were destined to be executed by King Nebuchadnezzar because they couldn't interpret his dream? And and wasn't it Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego who who prayed to the the Lord of heaven and asked him for mercy that he might enable them to to help the king to know his dream? And and in turn, the the king relented from his execution and and all these astrologers and sorcerers and diviners, uh, they, they had their lives because of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and the compassion and mercy of our great God, and they're now turning on these guys. You ever been betrayed by someone you helped? A snake is a snake. O king, they said, live forever. 
Tell your servants. Sorry, I'm, I'm in the wrong chapter. I had turned the page. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of Olympic music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. By the way, eight times in the text, the blazing furnace appears. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Ah, there it is, jealousy. It's always the same. You promoted them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. And we're reading the text and we're cheering, yes. God's people are standing for God. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Do we have to hear about this music again? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music... If you're ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then he shakes his fist at heaven and says, Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Don't you love it when you hear that? Don't you love it when the challenge is now put to heaven? Shadrach. Meshach and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. I want to stop right there. Know this, beloved. Real faith in God combats real fear of man or any other created thing and fuels what it really means to be free. I want to talk to you this morning about um, freedom through faith, through real faith, faith that enables you to go against the crowd, faith that enables you to be faithful to God. And and the question that's going to be put before us is, how how do I get that faith? How, How do I have that faith? How do I have the faith that stands in defiance of the king of the most powerful of all kingdoms in the world at that time and say, O king, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. There are four ways. The first is this. It starts with perspective. Who are the real players in this, uh, in this little challenge? What constitutes the, the substance of the opposition that you're facing in your life? What is it? As they were considering this whole challenge before them, clearly they had gotten together and had some sort of prayer meeting while everybody else was bowing down to the image of gold. They were bowing down to the great God of creation. And they had in their heart reasoned and put all of this 
the substance of this challenge in perspective. What is the size of the threat here? A furious, uh, insecure, small K king man who, who has a little fire pit and an image that he had to nail onto a pedestal against, over against the great God of the universe and the majesty and splendor of the creator of the universe who spoke the universe into existence. I don't know what's pounding in your life. I don't know what's, what's trying to breach your heart. But the first thing you need to do if you're going to be a person of faith and stand for God is to, is to put it in perspective, the substance of what is up against you, over against the great God. The Holy Spirit directed Daniel in the recording of his memoirs to, to write down Blazing Furnace eight times. The point of it all is as we, as we look at these two phrases, set up and blazing furnace, and, and we're drawn into that, we realize that here's what God is up against. An image that had to be nailed to the ground and a blazing furnace over against the God who called the universe into existence. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego conf- uh, came to the conclusion in their own hearts This is no contest. You see, God to them was no mere superstitious talking point. They had long ago reasoned that God, their God, the living God, is the authority and ultimate final reality of the universe. They reduced the threat to the size that it rightly deserved. We don't have to speak to you on this matter, King Nebuchadnezzar, because we've already spoken to our God. We've already consulted with the word of God, and, and our God says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make with your hand an image, a graven image, to represent the God of the universe. The tyranny of insecure leadership and the wayward stupidity of the majority conspired to make humanity outside of God look very pathetic on that day. And the splendor and the glory and the immensity of the infinite, eternal God is peddled by these people for a shiny trinket nailed to a pedestal in an Iraqi sheep pasture. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're supposed to bow down to that? Come on. Reduce the threat to its rightful size. The second is this. You you have to come to the place in your life that you understand who the challenge really is directed at. Whether it's an addiction in your life that, that continues to badger you and hold you hostage and say, you'll never shake loose. I'm stronger than you. Or whatever emotional pressure you're under that continues day in and day out to harp on you, you can never get rid of me. 
You'll never be released from my hand. Nebuchadnezzar said, what God can rescue you from my hand? In that moment, he had set himself up above all the gods. So wait a second. He, he declared in Daniel chapter 2 that, that Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego's God was the God of all gods. Yeah, he sure did. But he then put himself on top of all of them. And here's the response of faith. Verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, our God. The NIV doesn't do justice here in translation. It says, the God we serve. No, 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 no. The original language puts the possessive on it, and it means so much. They looked him in the face and said, our God. The one we serve is able to save us from it and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Our God, what God is able to rescue you, they talked about their God. The one who was theirs and by virtue of him being theirs, they were his. We call out to those who challenge us, those who badger us, the addictions that are, that, that have strang- are strangling our lives, and they say, what God can rescue you from me? How can you be taken out of my grip? And you look them back in the face and you say, my God can save me. The one who belongs to me and I belong to him because he's, Able to save, that's what he promises. And to rescue us one way or the other from your hand. Make no mistake about it. They said, whatever you do to us, remember this. Ultimately, we belong to the God of heaven. And whether we live or whether we die, we will end up in his hand and not yours. That's the way to live free. That's the way to to, to recognize and understanding what true faith in the living God is all about. He's our God and we're his and he possesses us. He owns us. He turns us over to no other. When it gets really tough, the time spent getting to really know God will provide confidence for your heart. Whatever you face, by the way, is really challenging God to a duel and not you. Make sure you know that about the challenges you're facing. They stand in opposition to the things that God wants to accomplish in your life. The battle's not with you. The battle's with the Lord. Turn it over to him. After they said that, they made one of the highlight statements of all scripture. 
Make sure it's asterisked in your Bible. Make sure it's highlighted and underlined. Make sure you can find this. Make sure this page is dog-eared in your Bible so that you can go here quickly and easily and you know where to find it because this is what faith is. But even, verse 18, if he does not rescue us or save us from the blazing furnace, we want you to know, O king, small cake king, that we will not serve your gods, small g gods, or worship the image of gold you have set up. Even if he does not save us, we will not serve your gods. They looked the man in the face who had the power to throw them into a fiery furnace and said, we choose our God over our own lives. That's what Jesus really meant when he said a follower of Christ takes up their cross daily and follows him. What they really said here was we choose our God and the choices our God makes and we choose the life our God chooses. God can do anything. Or he might choose to do nothing. And as far as we're concerned, it's all right with us. Because King Nebuchadnezzar, that's what it means to be God. That's who we serve. We serve the God who is free to choose as he wants. You see, that's what real faith is. Faith is believing God Not believing about him. It's believing him. Believing that he has the right to be God. Because that's what being God really is. And King Nebuchadnezzar, that's who we choose to worship. We choose to worship one who really is God. This kind of courage, by the way, develops through a series of smaller faith moments in life that will sustain your soul So life or death can truly become equal options for God's choosing. This didn't come because they had spent no time with God. This didn't happen because they hadn't already made small faith choices. You know the things that God is putting in your life right now and you're wondering, why, Lord, are you you bringing me this way? He wants you to know him and he wants you to trust him. And he wants you to learn to make the small faith choices. Because there'll come a day when a real storm hits. And you will either stand firm or be blown away. God wants you to stand. What Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to do is they could choose salvation or suffering as equal, valid, and appropriate options. Either way would have no bearing on how they viewed their God. That's liberating. That's what the freedom of real faith is all about. To be able to live a life that is totally delivered over to God 
knowing full well he is the all-wise, all-loving, infinite, all-powerful God of the universe. They're bowing down to something pathetic that is nailed to a pedestal. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to look at a 90 feet high idol and image and go, wow, like everybody else, isn't this spectacular? When in truth, they were looking way beyond that thing to an infinite, majestic, spectacular God of creation. So let me ask you, what is it that you would want to entrust your life to? The power of a 90-foot image? The power of your own savvy, your own human ingenuity? Depending on your superiors to protect you in your job? Depending on the, uh, this, the, the, the intelligence of the medical profession to keep you alive? Or do you look past? Whether I live or whether I die, I belong to God. And I will not risk that for anything or anyone, anytime. Finally, faith always acts. Look what it says in the text. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So much for serving a human king for protection. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. So that's the end of them. Wait a minute, not so fast. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Wait a minute! Weren't there three men that we had tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Furious, fire times seven, firmly tied, furnace, Versus faith and faithfulness. Beloved, you may have to follow the Lord into the fire. But know this. You won't go there alone. As the king Nebuchadnezzar looks into his strange fire pit distorted, twisted sense of extreme human cruelty. He sees in there a fourth person. 
And he sees the three men walking around in the fire. Can you imagine? None of their clothes are burned. Their hair is not singed. There's no smell of smoke on them. They're commiserating with each other. And he looks in and he says, wait a second. There's one in there that looks like the son of the gods. I'm sure it occurred to him, what God can rescue these men from my hand? Oh, there is a God. The God of heaven. Listen. They were not saved from the fire. They were saved in the fire. And they were not saved as a result of the absence of God, but as a result of the presence of God. Because he promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. All authority is given to me. Go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey, observe all the things I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Some of you in here are nodding with experience. You've been there. You've been in that fire. You've been in that storm. And you know that God was with you. We are not saved in this life from death. We are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ in death. It says in the word of God, though he or she die, yet he or she will live. That's liberating. That's the freedom of the faith we have in Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Those who rely on human power are humbled, but those who have faith in God are saved and promoted. This time, they were rescued out. I don't think it made any difference to them. I don't, I don't think they got out and rejoiced any more that they were taken out of the fiery furnace than if they had died in the fire and gone to be with God. I really don't. I, I honestly believe with my whole heart that they had come to such a, 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 a correct view of God that they could say whether I'm saved or whether I suffer, I serve God. Whether I live or whether I die, I'm with God. To us it matters not at all. It is only God who matters and my relationship with him. So let me put it out there for you. Moment of decision. Do you have that kind of liberating faith? In Jesus Christ? Or are you fraught with fear? Living every day in bondage? Listen, beloved, I implore you in the name of the living Christ and by the power of God's Spirit to embrace Jesus Christ, who will grant you faith to live in freedom forevermore. Father, I thank you for your great love for us. And I pray this morning that you will grip our hearts, Lord, with this kind of bold faith so that whether you ask us to suffer or whether you choose to save us and rescue us, we will bring glory to you 
and not bow down and serve any other. Lord, I pray today that you will release us from those things that have their grip in our lives. Release us from bondage of things that are looking at us and cackling at us and saying, who can rescue you out of my hand? What God? You can, Lord. The living God can. I pray this morning, by the power of your work, that you would bring people to faith today, Lord. There are people in here right now this morning who need to turn their life over to you. Jesus Christ, the one who came to to live among us, to die on Calvary's cross, to take our sins upon that cross by being nailed to the cross, that we might have forgiveness with God the Father by believing in him. Lord, there are people in here today who need to have release through the power of the good news of the gospel and the salvation of Jesus Christ. There are people in here, Father, who have been living with puny faith. We're in covenant with you, not in contract with you. You love us. And you grant us the promise of your presence forevermore. I pray, Lord, that we would give ourselves fully over to you this day in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know this morning what troubles are pouring over your life like sea billows. But I do know a God in heaven who can save you, who can rescue you, who will go with you, and who will never leave you or forsake you. Some of you here this morning know that, Lord, as your Savior, Jesus Christ. But maybe there's just some real big-time challenges in your life, and you're just struggling to have that kind of faith that says, Lord, whether you rescue me from this or you hold me in it, it makes no difference to me. It's that you're holding me. It means everything. I'm going to invite you after the service to just come and pray with one of our pastors. We'd love to pray with you and help you out. Or maybe you have never responded to the call of Jesus Christ in your life. And you are under it. You know where to turn. I'm going to invite you today as well to stay behind. If God is working on your heart, don't rush out of here. You meet with one of our pastors, we'll meet you down here. We'd love to pray with you and show you how you can have a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. He'll go with you. He won't leave you, ever. Father, I pray this morning. This is your gathering. You've called it. This is your word. You've spoken it. I pray now that uh, the Spirit of God would cause action to take place in the direction of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, whose arms are open wide, welcoming people to himself. Thank you, Lord, for your great love. We, We love you in Jesus' name.